Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. How many got the victory tonight? Oh, we got two of you. Praise the Lord. Be, uh, the rest of you will get the victory before you leave tonight. Let's open up our Bibles. Pastor's favorite phrase is let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter seven. If you join me there uh, anymore, uh, <laughs> you have to say let's open up our Bible apps. But however we read it, the word still has power. Can you say amen? And that's what we come together to do. Yes, we love to worship. We love to sing songs. We love to give. We love to have reports and announcements. Uh, We especially love announcements. But most of all, we love to hear the word of God because the word of God is what has power. Power to change our lives. Mark chapter 7. You join me there. We want to... uh, Read perhaps a familiar portion of Scripture to many of us, but one that I think will help us. I, so I've been preaching a, uh, a series of messages uh, in regards to evangelism and winning souls for the kingdom of God. And I pray that you find something that has been a, a blessing to you and been helpful to you in the, this mission that God has given us to win the, the, to win the world, to preach the gospel. So the, you know, the whole reason that you got saved, did you ever contemplate that? Why, God, did you save me? And maybe not my brothers or my other family members or my neighbors down the street. Why, God, why did, you, why did you save me and not, not somebody else? And the answer to that question is actually easier than you might think. The reason is because God wants to use your life. God didn't just save us so that we could have more comfort we could get a get out of hell free card. God didn't just save us so that, you know, that we can be more knowledgeable about religious things. But he saved us so that our lives could be put to work for the kingdom of God. And that's what this uh, this series is uh, attempting to help us to be more fruitful and effective, reaching the lost for the kingdom of God. And uh, it's it starts uh, the idea starts with uh, an acrostic the word bless, B-L-E-S-S. And so the first part we looked at is how do we win a lost person? How do we effectively preach the gospel to somebody? How do we see somebody get saved? Isn't that a good question to ask? It should be. That should be something. You know, uh, it was Spurgeon who said, if you have no desire to see people saved, then you are not saved yourself. That is very true. If God has saved you, the very natural thing that you ought to want is for other people to experience what you have experienced. It's like if you were uh, a sheep that had been separated from uh, from the flock, separated from the shepherd, and for a year wandering out by yourself, uh, trying to find food, trying to find shelter, trying to find hope, and finding none, you, you are lost and weak, 
And finally, one day, a shepherd comes and feeds you and picks you up and helps you and cleans you off and puts you back into the, into the, the, the flock with the rest of the sheep, right? So if you were that sheep, you'd be like, I need to find some other lost sheep so I can tell them where to go. This should be the desire of our hearts. And so to answer that question, how do we, how do we see lost people get saved? So the B of the word bless stands for begin with prayer. We recognize that we as human beings, we can't save anybody, right? Can you save anybody? Can you forgive sins? No, you can't do that. So we recognize that God is the one who saves. And so if God is the one who saves, he is the one who has to draw men by his Holy Spirit. You can make a convincing argument, but how many know an argument will not get somebody to heaven? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Uh, uh, In in the the gospel, it says that uh, the Holy Spirit is who draws men to salvation. Right. And so we must begin with prayer. The L of the word blessed stands for listening. Too often, I think that we we approach evangelism and winning the lost as a I know better than you Bible thumper type of attitude when we ought to approach people with questions and allow people to speak with a listening ear. And we saw how Jesus, Jesus exhibited this, that he was a good listener, that he engaged in conversation, not just a one way preaching. Preaching has its place in the kingdom. That's why you're here tonight. But, uh, but preaching alone will not win a lost soul. You must be able to listen to someone where they are. And many times I've found the reason why people don't want to come to church is because they didn't feel like people were listening to them. It speaks about being empathetic, identifying with people where they are. Last week we looked at the, the E out of the word bless, B-L-E, and, uh, and it was, stood for the word eat. Eat with people. And we understand that there's nothing magical about food, right? That uh, you, you can't just cook up a pack of hot dogs and, you know, revival breaks out. However, we see a spiritual reality that Jesus, in order to build relationships, would very often find himself at a meal with other people he was trying to reach. And so this is a, a very uh, a helpful tool that we can use to build relationships, to foster conversations, to, uh, to get close enough to people so that uh, we can begin to uh, win them to Christ. The fourth letter of the word bless is, of course, S. And uh, what we want to talk about tonight is something that I believe is um, being lost in modern Christianity and maybe has been lost by most Christians And it is the idea of service. In order to be a blessing to the kingdom of God, to be a blessing to lost souls, we must be servants. All right, so during World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal. Winston Churchill began to call together leaders of various labor industries to enlist their support. At the end of his presentation... He was a, a, a he was a powerful orator, and he asked them to picture in their minds a parade, which he knew would eventually be held in Piccadilly Circus after the war had been won. And he said, "In this parade of victorious 
uh, soldiers and helpers and laborers that are marching down the street. He said, first would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open so that ships could pass. Then would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky. Last of all, after all of these heroes, he said, would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. Someone would cry from the crowd, What were you doing during the critical days of our struggle? And from 10,000 voices would come the answer, We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. Can I remind you tonight that not every job that God has for you is glamorous. Not every service is prominent. Not every act of service is going to uh, exalt your name and put you in lights and, uh, and make your name great. No, often it is the people who have their faces to the coal who are the true heroes of any war and indeed of any church. It is those who are laboring behind the scenes, those who are serving the church, and more specifically, what I want to talk about tonight is serving people, even without any expectation of getting something in return. In the scripture we're about to read, we find an encounter between Jesus and a man who is both deaf and mute. He's been this way his entire life. And you're going to see why that's important here in just a moment. But we're going to learn a powerful lesson about serving people and why it's such a key part of any church and in the kingdom of God. Let's read together Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. He took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell No one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I'm praying tonight that you would inspire people, Lord, who are under the sound of my voice, to have a servant's heart. To understand, Lord, that we did not come into the kingdom unless there would have been willing someone to work, to serve behind the scenes. Lord Jesus, even you humbled yourself to become a lowly servant. You served us in your ministry on the earth. You served us at the cross. You served us by sending your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we would not be saved without your service. I'm praying tonight, give us a heart to serve as you did. Lord, so that we might see people one for the kingdom of God tonight. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, let's first recognize 
that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple, to be saved, all of these things, to be a Christian is to be a servant. You cannot separate these two ideas. You may hear sermons, you may hear messages, you may read books about how the Christian is a warrior, and that is true. The moment that you get saved, you find yourself enlisted in an eternal battle between heaven and hell, and you've just been enlisted as a warrior. So that's why you better put on your armor, take up your sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith, and fight! And all of our, uh, all of our military members, you know, our blood gets boiling and we hear about armor of God and swords and shields and David and Goliath and, and yeah, let's fight. And all of those things are true. However, we have to recognize that a warrior only has authority when he is a servant, when he is faithful to his commanding Officer, can you military guys uh, and girls testify to that? What would you be if you were a warrior who was without any authority? You'd be uh, John Rambo in the middle of the forest, you know, uh, only accomplishing uh, uh, vengeance on your own. But the truth is tonight that the reality of becoming a Christian also means becoming a servant. Think of this. Christ was a servant before he was a warrior. We know that one day Jesus will come back as conquering king of the universe. And he will come back with a vengeance, with a fire in his eyes and a sword from his mouth riding on a white horse. Right? He will come as a warrior. But the the first time Christ came to the earth, he came in humility, lowliness of heart. As a servant of men, not to conquer nations, not to conquer lands and peoples, but to conquer over sin through the service to his father. Mark 10, verse 45, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So if you are here tonight, you're watching uh, this live stream right now, and you can say uh, with all sincerity, I'm a Christian. I know Christ has saved me. I know that I'm living for God. Then at the very next breath, you have to also be able to say, I'm a servant. I serve God. And which also means I serve people. A warrior who has no commander is a fool. A warrior who doesn't serve can't defeat anyone. That's why in the military there are ranks. There are generals, lieutenants, officers, captains, soldiers. A good soldier is not one who acts in his own will, but one who follows orders. Something interesting is uh, as I'm teaching this Bible class in our school and we're just going through the first few chapters of Genesis. And in the last week, we read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And what's, uh, what's interesting about that story is that uh, God, he, he, he has an issue with Cain. Because uh, we know that God confronts Cain, right? And he, he, he has become so angry that uh, Abel, you know, he's Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, and Cain gets upset about that and kills his brother out in the field. And in Genesis 4, verse 9, the Lord says to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? 
one of those annoying questions from God. God already knows where Cain is and where Abel is. But here's Cain, and he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And what he's doing there is he's passing off responsibility for his younger brother. He's saying, it's not my problem, Lord. But the, the, um, the idea here is that God is saying, yes, your brother is your problem. You should be responsible for your younger brother, Cain. What's wrong with you? Why would you think that you're not responsible for him? You are your brother's keeper. I want to say tonight that in this Christian life that we've all been called to, we also have some brothers and sisters that we need to feel responsible for. Brothers and sisters are not just ones who were born from your mother and father. Brothers and sisters are those of us in the house of God. God has saved us and brought us into fellowship, right? So that's why I can call Mr. Stephen my brother, right? Even though he's got a very different background than me. But uh, because we have the same father who is God in heaven, I can put my arm around Mr. Stephen and I can say with all sincerity that this is my brother and that everyone here is my brother and my sister. As long as you're serving the Lord, I can count you as my brother and my sister. And tonight, listen, if... If, if we are truly family members, that means we need to be worried about each other. We need to take care and responsibility and concern for one another. This is very true in the house of God. It's, uh, it's tragic to me when somebody uh, feels like an outcast in the family of God. It shouldn't be like that. And the, the primary way that we express our brotherhood and our sisterhood to one another is through the acts of service. You know, we have, a, we have a calendar back there on the way into the prayer room. If you don't, if you don't pray before service, you wouldn't know this. But uh, on the way back to our prayer room, we have a calendar on the wall that, uh, that Amanda and, uh, and Miss Caitlin has put together. And, and we even had all these little forms that we filled out, you know, for people on their birthdays so that we can, you know, bless somebody on their birthday. Uh, the reason that's there is because we recognize, you know, when somebody has a birthday, we don't just want a birthday to pass by and nobody knows about it. We want to truly be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. That calendar is not there just so that the pastor and his wife and one or two other people look at it. Everyone. That, that should be, you know, uh, a point for every person in the congregation to know Okay, uh, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, there's a birthday coming up. That means, that means I want to be a blessing to them. Not just one or two. That's why it's there, publicly posted. If, if you're not on that calendar, we want to put you on that calendar so that we can be a blessing to you because you're family. And what, what Timothy says, First Timothy, or what Paul says to his disciple Timothy, Chapter 5, verse 8, he said, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we know that he's speaking there in the context of the family in the home, the mother, father, and children. And that's true. There is that, that, that we must take responsibility for our home. But also, in a greater context, we have a church home. We have a church family. And we've got to be able to care for one another. 
We have brothers in the faith. 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. This is why we ought to... This, you know, it breaks my heart when I hear somebody say, especially if uh, somebody tells me that they've been to a massive mega church somewhere. And, you know, sometimes mega churches are not like this, but I've heard it on many occasions. And they'll tell me, Pastor, I went to this mega church and there was a thousand people there, but nobody shook my hand. I, I couldn't tell you the name of anyone in that church, maybe except for the, the preacher. Isn't that sad? That, that all you have is an audience of people who is there to watch a show. The same way if you went to a concert down here at the amphitheater. Right? You're just there to, to be entertained. And so many churches, uh, that it, it, it could be a big mega church. It could be the potter's house in Virginia Beach if we're not careful. And we're just gathering to hear a, a message and to be entertained and to get a little religious. And that it shouldn't be like that, brothers and sisters. And so we can widen the circle. Not only do we have our own family, not only do we have the family of God in the church, but in, a, in another way, we have brothers and sisters of the human race. In a very profound way, I believe God would have us to look at those around us in our family, in our, in, our, in, our, in our nation, right, in our neighborhood, at our jobs. That we should not just look at people as people, you know, uh, who, who are unimportant to us. But that every man and woman in some way is a brother or sister to us. And the reason I say that tonight is because I believe God is watching the way that we serve and care for others. And even without any qualifiers, even if you don't know someone, even if you, uh, you know, don't rub shoulders with them, if you have an opportunity to bless somebody, then we ought to take that opportunity. I wonder today, you know, Jesus told that, parable about the good samaritan we saw it depicted in the the chosen series right see there was two people who passed the man who had been beaten nearly to death on the road one of them a priest another one was a levite these were guys who were supposed to be servants of the most high god and yet when they saw a real human need what did they do oh he's dead he i'm sure he's dead he's not breathing let me pass over here on the other side i don't want to get involved with that But then in Jesus' parable, there was a Samaritan, hated by the Jews, separated by by, uh, prejudice. But this Samaritan man finds this Jewish man beaten nearly to death, cares for him, picks him up, puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, uh, bandages his wounds, pays for his recovery. And he says, uh, when I come back, if there's still a debt because of him getting better, I'll pay the debt. The whole point of that story was the lawyer asking him, who is my brother? Who is my friend? Now, Jesus said, now, uh, of those three men, the, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, 
Who of those three was most friendly to the man who was beaten and broke down? The Samaritan was. And the point that Jesus is making is, be like that. Be like that man. Did, did that Jewish man, was he able to offer him anything in return? No, he, he couldn't even talk. See, I believe that there are needs around us. I remember my life was radically changed by a sermon that Pastor Wayman Mitchell preached. I was a, a, a young convert, a disciple in the Chandler Church, trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life. And we went to a men's discipleship. Thank God for men's discipleships. Uh, every month uh, during a certain season, uh, the Prescott Church would host a men's discipleship and all the other churches would send all the men and pack out the Prescott Church. And one of these men's discipleships, we took a van load of men from our church in Chandler. And Pastor Mitchell preached a message that has informed the way that I live for God ever since. And that message was very simple. He spoke about how to know the will of God. And he said, if you want to know the will of God, many people are waiting to know the will of God. They're waiting because they want to uh, hear some audible voice speaking to them, uh, whispering in their ear. Many people are waiting for God you know, to, uh, to send an angel and speak to them the way that an angel spoke to Mary and Joseph. Many people are waiting for God to write His message in the clouds so that He makes His will clear. And while we are waiting for God to make His will known to us, He said these profound things that will always stick with me. He said, most often, the way that God reveals His will to you is that He'll show you a need. He will make you aware of a need around you. Maybe your family, your friends, loved ones, your church, ministry. Maybe you, you, you see something and you are made aware there's a need. And oftentimes, as you begin to meet that need that is right in front of you, you will find yourself involved in God's will. I have put that principle into, into, into work, into my life. See, I, I say that because I, I never... I never felt called to go to Bulgaria as a missionary. Can I, can I be honest with you? I never felt called to be a pastor in Virginia Beach. I could not have found either one of them on a map if you ask me. But the need. We were simply responded to a need. And I tell you, all these years later, I'm so glad that we did. Both in Bulgaria as a missionary and here as pastor of this church, as we have responded to needs, not just in ministry, but in people's lives, you will find yourself in the middle of God's will by responding to a need. So often, this is the same pattern we see in the life of Jesus. You know, you, you wonder how many of these famous stories that we read in the gospel accounts where Jesus is just walking down the road, right? Just walking down the road, a crowd of people around him, and there's a woman with an issue of blood, right? Now, we know Jesus knows all things, right? He's, he's, uh, he's, he's omniscient. He has knowledge of all things. But, you know, I, I don't think Jesus had it on his agenda that day. You know, he, he didn't have the plan laid out, you know, at, at 7.45 p.m., this woman's going to touch my garment. And she, it wasn't like that. He's just walking down the street, man. And the woman who has faith, she comes and touches his garment. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, I could be healed. 
And when that happens, she reaches out to, and in the midst of the crowd, the disciples are like, man, everybody's touching you, Jesus. But he says, no, somebody reached out with faith. That wasn't on the plan. That wasn't on the schedule. That wasn't on the agenda. It was a need. And Jesus met the need. And the will of God began to work, out, work itself out. I wonder tonight, how many needs right now? You, maybe, maybe you've been praying that prayer. God, show me. Show me what you want me to do with my life. God, would you just give me a revelation? Maybe in the prayer room, you know, you're just, God, show me the right way to go. And that's sincere. And at the same time, there's this person that you're aware of who maybe just lost their job and needs a bag of groceries. Or perhaps, you know, there's a, there's a child who uh, is not getting enough attention at home. And you could say, hey, let's go get some ice cream. Or perhaps there's somebody on your job who uh, maybe, maybe if you just asked a few questions, a spiritual, spiritual questions and, and ask, then they would be curious. What does the gospel mean? What does living for God mean? Have you examined the needs that are around you right now? So let's look at this scripture as, as, we, uh, as we consider this thing tonight. The marks of true service. Because I've, I have uh, been around a little while. I'm not an old man yet. But I've been around a little while. I've seen people serve. I've seen people do what they think is service. But very often, there is such a thing as selfish service. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's what the Pharisees tried to do when, it, you know, when they went out on the street corner and they prayed with grandiose words and began to proclaim their goodness. And, uh, and Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like those stupid guys. All they're looking for is the glory of men. And they got it. So th- their prayers are not heard by God. Forget about it. That's why Jesus said, go in your closet and pray where nobody sees you. Because then the Father who is in heaven will hear and he will move. In the same way, there is service that is done that is meant to be seen by others. A selfish service. Let me, give, let me distinguish between the two. Self-righteous service comes through human effort. True service comes from a relationship with God. Self-service, self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish small or large service. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. True service rests contented in hiddenness. Self-service, self-righteous service is concerned about results. True service is free of the need to calculate results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service does not discriminate in its ministry. I'll just add right there, one of uh, another Pastor Mitchellism. He said, uh, you can always tell the character of a man by how he treats people who can do nothing to him and nothing for him. How do you treat those people? They can't hurt you, neither can they help you. How do you treat them? Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. Self-righteous service is temporary. True service is a lifestyle. Self-righteous service is without sensitivity. It insists on meeting the need, even when doing so would be destructive. True service can withhold as freely as perform. 
Self-righteous service fractures a community, but true service, on the other hand, builds community. Let's look at this story of Jesus ministering to the deaf and mute man. The first thing that marks true, a, a true servant's heart is a willingness to get close. We're talking about proximity. There, are, there is a strain of people who uh, style themselves, I'm not a people person. I don't want to get involved. You know, I, I'm awkward or, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't get along well with others. You know, the kind of uh, uh, insulated and isolated person that would do well on top of a mountain in a cabin. You know, I see these posts on Facebook sometimes. And it shows a picture with a little cottage with a, a chimney and a smoke coming out the top and a little path. And it, and it says, you've just inherited this house in the woods. What do you do next? And it's full of comments like, move there right now. Say goodbye to my friends and family. I'll live there the rest of my life. <laughs> There's people like that. Listen, and we can bring that into the church, right? And... and, and the, we had a we had a danger of letting that infect us in the last year, you know, that we all sit in our little corners and social socially distanced and isolated and, and let's stay away from each other. And some people really like that. The ministry of Jesus refused to stay away. First of all, he came out of heaven. Right. Like that was a pretty cushy spot to have at the right hand. The ministry of the of the son of God. But he came out of heaven. He came to the earth. Our scripture says in verse 31 that he departed from the region of Tyre and Sidon. He came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Can I tell you, this journey was 80 miles. That's from here to Richmond. A little bit less. He didn't have a Ford or a Dodge or a Chevy. He had two legs. He traveled 80 miles on foot, perhaps only for this man. He got close. Look at the next scripture. They brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. They brought this man close enough to be within arm's length. What's amazing about Jesus is that he was not afraid of getting close to people. Even when they had obvious illness and sickness, right? There was people who were, had the disease, the contagious disease of leprosy, far worse than COVID-19, by the way. And Jesus laid his hands on them. I better move on quickly before people get mad. Jesus got close to the man. I want to tell you, this is still needed today. Human beings were not made to be isolated. We do not thrive. In fact, we get worse when we're alone. We get so much worse. We need one another. True service is willing to get close to people's problems, to people's illnesses and sicknesses. The second thing we see is that the service is personal. Look at verse 33. That Jesus took him aside from the multitude. Now remember, what was this man's malady? He was deaf and mute. First of all, he could not hear. And no doubt, as a person who grew up not being able to hear, um, he, he would also have uh, very great difficulty in communicating, right? Deaf and mute. 
This is, this is perhaps my favorite part of this story. Because this man would have known what it was like to endure mockery. People would have been making fun of him ever since he was a boy. Because he couldn't speak. And when, whenever he tried to speak, he would speak with uh, strange sounds. Fractured words. He would speak too loud or too soft. And so this would draw attention to him in a negative way. He would have been a laughing stock. And so Jesus, being very sensitive to that, he's going to deal with this man. He's going to pray for him. But first he says, let's get out of the crowd. Let's, let, let's get out of the public eye for a moment. He serves the man with dignity in a way that shows that he understands his, 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 the need of his heart, not just the need of his injury or his illness. See, when it comes to people, dealing with people, how many understand people got problems, man? People come to church with all kinds of baggage and wickedness and, and uh, shame and guilt. And, and, you know, we've got to be sensitive, y'all. We've got to be sensitive to the needs of people. And deal, you know, uh, God will bring people into the kingdom who have problems, family problems, drug problems, alcohol problems. Jesus gives him dignity. He understands. He pulls him aside from the rest of the multitude. And finally, the ministry, the service that Jesus provided was powerful. It was effective. Verse 34, he looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. This is what we, you know, we come to expect it from Jesus, but this was not expected. He performed a mighty miracle for this man. A man who could not hear or speak from his youth. And all of a sudden he begins speaking. He's clear. What an amazing, amazing miracle. When Jesus served, he accessed the power of God. Can I tell you, if we're going to make any impact, we, have also need, we also need to access the power of God in our ministry. What do you think Jesus meant? We saw it in the, in the film on Sunday night. When he said this to his disciples, he said, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things. What do you suppose Jesus meant by that? Was he speaking in code? Was he, was, he, uh, was he being symbolic somehow? No, I think exactly what he meant is what he said. You will do greater things than I do. Is that true of your life? And if it's not, why not? Perhaps it is because we don't find ourselves in service to other people. This, uh, this sermon is quickly becoming an ode to Pastor Mitchell, but one, one thing that Pastor Mitchell stands out in my mind, when he would perform, uh, when he would preach and pray for the sick in these healing crusades, all around the world he would do healing crusades. People would come from miles around to get prayed for. And he always made the same statement at every healing crusade. And he would preach the simple gospel. People would come to the front. They'd get saved. They would come down with all their sicknesses and addictions. And, and he would pray for people, miracle after miracle. And at the end of the miracle healing crusade, he would say the same thing. He would say, everything that you saw me do, you can do it too. 
There is nothing that Pastor Mitchell did that you can't do. Greater things, Jesus said. Greater things than what I have done, you will do. I want to challenge you. To truly serve people, we, we've got to do more than just fill their bellies and drive them to church. True service accesses the miraculous power of God. If somebody's sick, lay your hands and pray for them. If someone's struggling with addiction or sin, you begin to pray and fast with them. If they're in a relationship that is leading them to hell, we must begin to believe God, church. There's a story of a man who worked in a retail store. True story. It was not his dream job, but he needed work, so he took the job. This man asked God to use him in that store to be a blessing to the people around him. And so he began to pray for the people that he worked with. It's a good place to start. Begin with prayer. After a while, he got to know another worker there named Jeremy. They quickly became friends. Jeremy made it clear that he was not a follower of Christ. But because of their growing friendship, he engaged in conversations about God, spirituality, or religion, as he would call it. As this man and Jeremy got to know each other better, he learned that uh, his co-worker was a single parent whose son had chronic health problems. One day, he noticed Jeremy seemed unusually down. Is there something wrong, bro? He said, yeah, it's my son. He's broken out in severe hives, and the doctor can't do anything about it. I can't, send him, I can't send him to school, so he's at home by himself, and I'm really worried about him. This man wasn't sure how his boss would react, but he asked with courage, do you mind if I pray and ask God to heal him? And to his surprise, without even pausing, Jeremy said, please, please pray for him. The store is always busy and full of people, so... Uh, So he looked around for a quiet place to pray, ended up in the bathroom by himself. He prayed and said, God, you know that I love this guy and he's hurting because of his son. I know what you can do. So please heal Jeremy's son. Take away these hives. He finished praying and headed back out to the sales floor. Moments later, his boss ran across the room toward him with a look on his face. That prayer thing, it really works. Your God must be real because my son just texted me two minutes ago and said, Dad, you'd never believe it. All of my hives are gone. A guy who's not a believer just said, your God must be real. Why? Because he experienced the power of God through prayer. What about you? When's the last time you believed God for a miracle? Service means tapping into the power of God. I want to close Bring this thing in for a landing tonight. I want to close with one story from the life of Jesus. John chapter 13, very familiar. As Jesus is at the Last Supper, they've finished eating their meal, and he's preparing to go to the cross. These are his last moments with his disciples. Imagine all the things that they have seen together with Jesus. All the miracles, all of the teachings, all of the incredible words that were spoken, all of the places they traveled together, and he's, he's, uh, he's, they're worried because he's just told them he's about to die. Okay? So Jesus trying to give direction and comfort. In a way, this is his last words to them. And we find this in John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, 
took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? To understand this properly, you must know that that feet were nasty. They still are nasty. But especially in that ancient time when there were, people did not wear uh, closed-toed shoes, where animals, there was no paved roads, and animals were pulling carts. You get the idea? There's a lot of filthy stuff on the ground. And the, the, the tradition, especially in a Jewish household, is before you eat the meal that you're going to have to wash up before dinner. It was the job always of the lowest of the lowest servants in the house to do that job because it was the nastiest job of all. The foot washer. And Jesus, what he does here is he's making a statement. What does Jesus deserve? These guys believe he is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He is the conquering king. And yet he takes all of that glory. He takes the crown of that glory off of his head and he trades it for a garment of service. He says, I will make myself the lowest servant. I'm going to wash the feet. I'm going to do the job of the lowliest to teach you guys what true service really looks like. This should not have been a surprise to them. He had already told them in Matthew 20, verse 28, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life. He had also said, Matthew 23, Verse 11, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The, the, what Jesus did in this account, he traded a crown for an apron. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take off the crown of glory that you think you're going to get for, for something that you've done? And you say, you know what? I'm just here to be a servant. I'm just here to do whatever God has called me to do. To serve Jesus means to trade the crown for an apron. And I want to close with this story. There was a Spanish philosopher who told about the Roman aqueduct at a place called Segovia in Spain. This aqueduct, this Roman aqueduct, was built in the year 109. That means it's very old. For 1,800 years, think of this, 1,800 years, it carried cool water from the mountains to the hot and thirsty city in Spain. Nearly 60 generations of men drank from that water over the years. And a recent generation in the last century rose up and said, this aqueduct is such a great marvel that it ought to be preserved for our children as a museum piece. We are going to relieve it of its century-long labors. And so what they did is they, they, they uh, caused the water source to stop they laid modern iron pipes that went from the same source all the way down into the city. They gave those ancient bricks and mortar a rest. And as soon as the water stopped flowing, the aqueduct began to fall apart. The sun began beating on the dry mortar and caused it to crumble. The bricks sagged and threatened to fall. For 1,800 years of service... 
It held together. But when it became idle, it disintegrated. This is exactly what happens to men and women in the kingdom of God who refuse to serve. As long as the power of God can flow through your life and into the lives of others, your life will be sustained. You will find great strength and and purpose in the kingdom. But the moment that that service is cut off and you say, you know what, let somebody else do it, I'm done. I'm tired. That is when our faith begins to disintegrate. If you can't see the needs around you, perhaps you are in danger tonight. I want to challenge you. True evangelism begins with service. Being a blessing wherever God has called us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. Thank you for your attention. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.